Hashtags, a Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Dorian Kundik. Welcome to Hashtags, the Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast, where I sit down with some of our best thinkers to share practical tips and strategic insights to help you stay ahead of the curve and add value to your organization. Our topic for discussion today, the problematic promise of digital B2B buying. Today's B2B buyer is a digital first buyer, one who increasingly expresses preference to navigate their purchase process without the aid of a sales rep. But an over-reliance on digital by both buyers and B2B brands can lead to poor outcomes for both parties. My guest for today is Rick LaFond, who leads Gartner's research into customer acquisition and growth. Rick, I'd love you to say hello and introduce yourself for a moment. Yeah. Hi, Doreen. Uh, certainly a pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, so I'm an analyst on the Gartner team. I've been with Gartner for a little over 11 years, uh, and I work primarily with clients in the B2B marketing space uh, across topics like demand generation, account growth, digital marketing, content marketing, all that good stuff involved in engaging B2B buyers. And it's a wild time to be in anything touching digital marketing right now. So we're we're glad to have you on sharing your expertise. Thanks for being here. So I wanted to kick off with some pretty clear data that you have on where the market stands on B2B buying right now. Uh, 75% of B2B buyers preferring to engage with digital channels instead of talking with the sales rep. What are you seeing on this front? Yeah, so what I'm seeing is first and foremost, B2B buyers looking to essentially take back control of the purchase process. Uh, I think there's a little bit of an aversion to engaging with sales reps just by the very nature of the sales rep literally gets paid to tell the buyer whatever the buyer needs to hear to get mm. them to buy their stuff. And the buyer knows that. <laughs> exactly. uh, there's also a convenience factor involved, but really I, I think the important thing to, to note here though, is that when we asked that question in our survey, it was a question about preference. So I, th- I think there's a little bit of an element of not necessarily thinking in terms of reality, but thinking about it in terms of an ideal world, right? So I oftentimes like to say, uh, I would prefer to be able to lose weight while eating nothing but pizza and ice cream. Uh, still, I know it doesn't really make it the reality, uh, but still an undeniable indicator of uh, B2B buyers embracing digital. That's an interesting distinction there. And, and I was going to ask you, is it that they don't want to talk to a rep at all? Or is it just that they want that control piece? Or to your point, do they realize I'll probably need a rep somewhere along the way? Just ideally, I wouldn't have to. I th- I think, How strong is it? I think that's the latter, right? It is the last thing you mentioned. Uh, right now, we've been running a series of interviews with B2B buyers, and they're all very well aware that they're not in a position to buy, you know, a hundred thousand dollar piece of capital equipment without talking to a sales rep. Uh, so when you really push them on uh, what types of information sources are most helpful, while they love digital and prefer digital, uh, they are well aware that sales reps still play a, a critical role for major purchases. You know, so to your point about how well equipped they are to make these decisions, um, we, we've got this clear preference, preference again, right? Not necessarily reality, mm-hmm. but a clear preference to do it yourself. But then here's the problematic part. Uh, your research shows that cutting a rep out completely seems to actually be a rather ill-fated decision, right? Leading to an abundance of buyer's remorse. Tell me what you see here in the data. Yeah, very well said. Uh, so we looked at 
likelihood of purchase regret. So buyers who completed their purchase via self-service digital commerce, never engaging with a rep versus buyers who completed their purchase the traditional way through a sales rep. Uh, buyers who complete their purchase through self-service digital commerce are nearly twice as likely uh, to experience purchase regret. Uh, and when I look at that data, what I've really come to appreciate here is that I don't think it's simply a fact of e-commerce and B2B is doomed to fail. I think to your point, and you alluded to this, is it's really more so a reflection of the limitations of a lot of digital experiences today and that B2B buyers just flat out aren't getting the information and the support they need digitally uh, to be able to make the right purchase for them. Uh, and I would say long-term, uh, maybe we can envision a world where very complex purchases can be fully supported online, you know, with a boom of Gen AI and all the amazing promises that comes with that. Uh, but certainly when it comes to complex buying decisions, uh, certainly, uh, too soon to uh, to declare the death of the salesman, if you will. And we'll start breaking this down into some detail mm -hmm. in, in the next few minutes here. But again, high level, this idea of uh, the digital experience being associated with a fairly high degree of purchase regret. Do you think that this is surprising to most marketers or do you think it's been their experience enough that they recognize this as being something they've observed? Yeah, so I, I think in the moment of reflection outside of the day-to-day -day craziness of the world. Uh, I think it inherently makes intuitive sense just simply because it's different from the way that uh, buying this and selling has traditionally been done for decades upon decades. Uh, that said, I don't necessarily know how reflective it is in terms of how organizations are actually investing, right? You know, I, I think probably the biggest signal of this was uh, during the, the peak of COVID. Uh, B2B brands uh, invested ruthlessly to be able to build digital commerce capabilities, broader digital marketing capabilities. But I think while they had done a good job of supporting online ordering, where they really failed to close the gap is when it comes to supporting online learning. Uh, so, and people are definitely investing in digital, uh, but not necessarily, in my experience, in the right ways to support uh, the research required to, to make a big purchase. Uh, is there a bit of an assumption that if people are asking for a digital experience that they're naturally going to be good at it? Do you think there's a certain bias there? Uh, that's a really smart question. I think, yes, there, there is that implicit assumption in that as consumers, we all, or most of us buy digitally, right? We've got the Amazon Prime accounts. Uh, I'm an avid shopper of J. Crew. would much rather more likely to buy a, another flannel shirt online as opposed to, to going into the store. Uh, but that said, one thing that I've really been coming to recognize recently is that the norms associated with digital B2C buying don't necessarily directly translate to mm. B2B buying, right? So for, for a long time, the, the guidance has been really, you know, replicate the Amazon experience because that's what consumers are used to. But of course, there is a big distinction when it comes to buying, you know, some sort of enterprise software as opposed to buying uh, a flannel shirt uh, on jcrew.com. Uh, so B2C experiences, while simple and nice and, and support efficiency, don't really support the more complex needs of B2B buyers. 
I want to loop back to, to that point you made about the big changes during COVID, where mm -hmm. we kind of dialed it up on the digital buying front f for very good reason. And the idea that a lot of organizations became really good at supporting online ordering without being able to support those learning needs that you mentioned. Tell me a little bit more about that in terms of um, the level of sophistication they need to be able to evolve their digital experience toward in, in order to be able to support that digital experience a little bit better. Yep. So first and foremost, and I'd say most brands are at this point, although you'd be surprised that it's not totally ubiquitous, is you need to have the straightforward product information that people need to to, to collect to be able to learn about just the, the general nature of your product, right? So manufacturing, you know, specification types of tables, product images, descriptions, that kind of a thing. That is the absolute bare minimum. But as we think about what the next step and, and, and what should be the, the new minimum is more so information, tools, contents that help customers more so see themselves in the in, in the products. Uh, so that would be uh, information and support that might uh, tailor products to specific use cases or to the specific needs of specific roles or specific industries. But then there's also just like the very blunt nature of so much that a buyer does in their buying journey has very little to do with simply evaluating an individual product, uh, but more so a reflection of them going through their own types of internal evaluation processes, right? So it's, you know, maybe we've identified a need, but, you know, do we understand the need well enough to take action on it, right? So that's where something like, uh, you know, a, a pain sizing calculator or, or what I call a rope calculator, return on pain eliminated calculator can oftentimes be very helpful uh, or have been very intrigued by the idea of business case building guides. So, you know, we might have one champion within an organization who's evaluating their purchase, but they need to make the business case to their boss, to the CFO, CFO to procurement as to why they should make this purchase. So really kind of the objective should be is to identify what exactly are those key buying journey tasks that buyers are looking to complete uh, and equipping them with different information, whether that be, you know, simple web copy uh, or more interactive tools that help them complete those different types of buying journey tasks. Have you seen brands successfully going completely rep free at this point? Uh, no. Or is that even possible based on what you just said? Again, that sounded like a pretty good digital setup, but is that even possible? I think it's possible for brands that are very comfortable selling nothing but one-off low-cost widgets. Uh, that said, I've never spoken to a client where that's been the, the reality. Uh, so I, I, I'd say I, I've seen signs of people trying to work towards that place, but uh, as I mentioned before, I, I think we're light years away from that actually happening in reality. So the goal at this point is to find that right balance between digital experience and rep support, right? Mm -hmm. So talk me through a little bit what both are best at and, and maybe share any, any examples you have along the way. Yeah, so digital is really best at helping customers learn, right? Learn about products, but you know, digital done well can certainly help customers learn more about you know how a solution can help them do their job better as opposed to just learning about the product's you know specifications. Uh, so digital is really good at helping customers learn 
and supporting the rational side of B2B buying. Uh, that said, there is very much an emotional gut instinct component of B2B buying. And naturally, humans are going to be a lot more equipped to support that, right? Humans can apply uh, personal empathy. Uh, you know, you think about the idea of personalization. And while, yes, personalization is very much available in digital experiences, they can't truly deliver the right information to the right person at the right time. Again, they can guesstimate, but it's not possible quite yet. Again, maybe Jen and I will change that. Uh, and so humans do have the ability to truly diagnose a customer need, uh, identify what information is going to be needed and apply contextual judgment to be able to offer uh, that information. So that, those are kind of going to be the, the two unique flavors is kind of learning and supportive rational sides of buying. I think that's what digital is good at, uh, whereas humans are going to be a bit more uh, equipped to support uh, the more emotional gut instinct side of B2B buying. Yeah, speaking of gut instinct, uh, you mentioned AI, so I'm just going to ask this quickly. Do, do you see Gen AI and how it's accelerating right now, just blowing the roof off of both of these and completely redefining how, how we think about both? Or is it more like it's going to enhance both sides of the equation, the digital and the human side, in terms of how we work and being better at both sides? Yeah, so I think early on in, in, the, in the near to mid future, it's going to be more of an enhancement, right? A, uh, one, one thing that our, our sales practice has been talking about is the, the idea of tech as a teammate. Uh, so a way to sort of augment uh, different types of experiences. Uh, so as an example, there's technology out there that can listen to a sales call and be able to surface insights in terms of the, uh, the, the prospect or the customer's emotions at any given point in time uh, to help the, the sales rep you know, uh, change in the moment. Uh, that said, I, I get really excited about the idea of something like a Gen AI driven chatbot to be able to synthesize a endless supply of information that live, lives on the website and truly contextualize it for an individual buyer. But that said, like those norms have yet to be established, right? Like when you and I think about chatbots, we more so have a negative connotation of it's that thing that we need to X out uh, so that we can actually find what we need on, on a website. So I, I think there's so, some, some promise there without a doubt, uh, but we need to really think about starting to reinvent the norms and, and educating people uh, in terms of the value that that sort of experience can provide. So it's seen as a partner and a useful tool as opposed to the current state of as a nuisance. So, so let's look more at that balance between and trying to get that right first signals that we've gotten it wrong and then looking at how we would know they'd gotten it right. So to start with, what are some of the warning signs that marketers should be on the lookout for the indicators that they may have the balance wrong? Yeah, so I, I think a big indicator is going to be uh, first and foremost, a simple evaluation of your website, right? It doesn't matter how much you are continuing to rely on sales reps or how much you're going to rely on digital in the future. Uh, if you have under investigated, uh, under invested, excuse me, to give buyers the information that they need across their buying journey, just to learn basic information uh, about your solutions and to advance their buying journey, uh, that would be a good indication of you are currently under investing in digital. Uh, so one thing that we talk about a lot is the idea of uh, conducting buying journey mapping exercises where we learn more about the questions buyers are asking across their buying journey. 
that would be a great way to reveal what types of very basic information do we need to provide uh, on our website. And what really quickly, what data are they looking for in terms of those website analytics that should be setting off alarm bells? Yeah, so a great question. So I'm looking at things like bounce rate, right? So if your bounce rates are starting to get high or below an industry benchmark, uh, that would be uh, a good one. Uh, also looking at things like time spent on site, uh, average number of pages visit, uh, that would be a, a great example of an indicator of you don't have the information that buyers are looking for, which is not acceptable. How about on the rep side? How do we know if we were over or underweighting with the human element? Yeah, so that one's a, a little bit tougher to assess. And, and frankly, I, I think that the big thing, theme there is less uh, things that reps are or aren't doing. I, I think it's more so a reflection of essentially directing that canon to the right places. And so by that, I mean, there's going to be certain types of customers, certain types of purchases where more sales rep investment is going to be needed, right? So uh, as we think about bigger purchases, more complex purchases, that's where a sales rep is definitely going to have to be very heavily involved uh, and we can predict will be heavily involved for the next few years. That said, you do want to selectively identify what are some of those places where we can actually uh, rely more so in a self-service model. Uh, so that might be for more complex purchases. It might frankly be for purchase categories or for segments that are of less of a priority for you. Uh, but ultimately here, like there is absolute benefit for sales reps, right? It's not digital coming for sales reps jobs. It's a tool to help sales reps focus in on those higher priority accounts or opportunities uh, as opposed to chasing down and investing a ton of time into supporting buyers and tasks that could be uh, supported via self-service. So I want to go and continue in this direction you're taking us. You've got some really great guidance on getting the balance right. Um, so some great questions that companies should be asking themselves so they can figure out which way they should be leaning or which direction they should be correcting. Um, a couple considerations that you've referred to already, um, prioritizing their customers, looking at the complexity of various uh, purchases. What is the advice you'd give for kind of systematically making sure they've got that balance right? Yeah. So I, I think the, the key theme here would be ruthless accounts or a customer prioritization, right? So uh, we can think about it in terms of basic tiering, right? This very common principle in account-based marketing is you want to essentially, first and foremost, start to prioritize customers based on things like strategic fit, based on things like average deal size, uh, based on you know, ideally even uh, historical performance metrics. So you can start to correlate certain types of customer characteristics to uh, different types of success metrics like win rate. Uh, and so what that can help you do is start to place customer accounts into different tiers. Uh, based on how well they fit that definition of your ideal customer profile. Uh, and then that in, in turn helps you figure out what level of investment should you be directing uh, towards those different tiers of accounts. And you know, naturally, sales rep salary is going to be the most or the biggest investment that an organization can make. And so you want to make sure that you are uh, focusing that very expensive resource on your highest priority accounts. Uh, I'd also say, too, uh, is th there is I, I want to make sure that people are thinking about it from the perspective of not digital or humans, 
right? Because that does definitely create a bit of a false trade-off. As we think about what the modern buying experience should look like, it's not either or, it's more of an and story. Uh, and in fact, like what we want to do is work to a place where those types of experiences start to feel a bit more blended or more of a hybrid type of experience. Uh, so for instance, uh, you know, uh, things like a sales rep using digital tools directly within their conversations with, with sales reps, right? So again, less and, or excuse me, less digital or human, but really the objective should be both. Have you, as you look at how a lot of organizations have used their human element, their reps uh, traditionally, do you think most B2B companies are prepared to have their reps kind of maximizing their value in this hybrid role, working, working in tandem with digital? Or do you think we need to bring on different types of reps or train them a different way or get people who think in different terms or are good at answering different types of questions? Or do you feel like companies are pretty much already there? Yeah, so I, I think they have the, the, a lot of the groundwork. So certainly not a situation where I think people need to fundamentally revisit their FTEs on their sales team because they have the wrong people. Uh, I forget the name of the book, so forgive me, but a very common sales book to sell as human. Uh, that, that really is like been the very nature of B2B selling for years and, and what I think is implicitly already uh, there is the ability to apply the, the human touch. Uh, but what I'd say is that there's certainly a lot of uh, gap that marketing needs to be able to close to be able to more effectively help sales reps uh, be more of that consultative buying partner as opposed to more of a, and this is hyperbole, but more of a walking, talking product for sure. Right. So for instance, uh, can we equip our sales reps with guidance on how to apply customer insights uh, in their customer conversations? Uh, so, you know, very common for marketing teams to uh, do things like build personas and journey maps. They're typically very beautiful. They'll pass them over to the sales team and say, hey, look, you have customer insights. Now use these to engage with your customers. But then the sales rep inevitably says, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. And, and, and so that's where it becomes really helpful to do things like give sales reps playbooks on how to identify where a customer is in a journey. Right. Like what signals might suggest what stage they're at uh, or what types of content are is best aligned for that journey stage. What are some tasks that you should take uh, or tasks that you should complete uh, to be able to help the customer with that stage of the journey? So th there's a lot that marketing can start to do a bit more of, and they generally have the, the, the capability to do this, uh, but they oftentimes just get lost in their rat race of the sales team making a lot of what marketing perceives to be very unstrategic requests, right? We need a new pitch deck on this. Uh, we're launching a new product. We need the same types of one pagers and collateral that we've always used. Uh, and so it can be difficult for CMOs and their teams to extricate themselves from the day-to-day -day tactical tasks uh, to really kind of reinvent their approach to sales enablement for the new environment. I'm curious, you speak to so many uh, brands about trying to become better integrated. Are there certain anxieties 
that you regularly hear about trying to integrate better or uh, misconceptions about what that looks like or what that involves? What are you hearing in terms of kind of client anxieties on this front? Because like you said, it's a rat race. Things are changing so quickly and we barely have time to think about it to begin with. Um, what are you hearing in terms of anxieties on this front? Yeah, so it, it's really interesting because uh, we've been finding, and, and this isn't a surprise, for years, marketing has been wanting to work more closely and as more of a partner, a strategic partner to sales. Uh, but what's really interesting is more recently, we've been seeing a lot more appetite from sales leaders, so to a chief sales officer, to actually start to partner with marketing a bit more closely. Uh, and while there is certainly the, the handshake agreement of we need to be more strategic when it comes to our partnership, where the rubber meets the road, there is still plenty of gaps that exist, right? Take simple things like lead qualification criteria. That's oftentimes developed in a silo where marketing has their own view of what should be a high quality lead. Sales has their own view of, of what should be a high quality lead. Uh, and, and so the, the biggest kind of piece of advice that I give to, to CMOs on this is don't try to boil the ocean when it comes to marketing and sales integration. And that, you know, I, I know no one explicitly thinks this, but oftentimes I see behaviors that suggest that leaders might think, right, if only we can create this amazing presentation that talks about how the world of B2B buying is changing and how uh, marketing can support you in your world, right? Like at a snap of a finger, the whole sales organization will, be, will say, hey, we really need to work with marketing more effectively. Again, no one actually thinks that way, but that's kind of been reflected in the behaviors I've seen. What we should be more so be looking for are those quick wins, right? Find the, the sales leader in your organization who has historically been a bit more friendly to your marketing team, someone who you do think thinks about the world in a bit more of a strategic way. Uh, identify specific projects that you might be able to work with that team on. And then what that helps you do is one, be able to implement some sort of a change in a much more manageable manner but then two, what that helps you do is identify a quick win that you can then celebrate and promote to the rest of the organization, right? Because as you think about the sales team, who do you think has more credibility? Like marketing, who they perceive as off in their own world and their beanbag chair somewhere making things pretty, or a, a sales leader who has demonstrated experience of, you know, knocking their numbers out of the park uh, and, and shows a bit more of a reflection of, an understanding of what sales reps are doing on a day in and day out basis. So definitely look for quick wins, look for pilots, prioritize your, your friendly salespeople, and then you can start to accumulate those quick wins and expand uh, more broadly. You call out some B2B digital buying considerations that brands maybe haven't fully appreciated, but which they really need to have on their radar right now. A big one is the significant influence wielded by third parties. Yeah, so it's really interesting. So. In our uh, one of our recent B2B buyer surveys, uh, we asked buyers to tell us about all of the different interactions they had during their purchase process. Uh, we then asked those buyers to rank how valuable each of those interactions were. And we learned that buyers find third party interactions significantly more valuable than their digital interactions with brands. So just to, to, to spell it out here, we talked about third party interactions. We're talking about uh, a buyer's interactions with third-party subject matter experts or with their peers, former colleagues, uh, or fellow customers, 
right? And, and so buyers are just finding a lot of credible guidance and insight from third parties. Uh, and it makes sense too, because, you know, if, if you talk to your peer, they see your world through your eyes. So they can actually provide guidance in ways that brands can't digitally. Uh, but definitely uh, raises the stakes in terms of brands not just optimizing their own digital presence, uh, but also working to build out their presence on third-party channels. And recognizing that that third-party influence can be a source of real sabotage, or it can be a, a really big strategic advantage for a brand. Any thoughts on how to really harness third parties as a helpful, as a strategically advantageous part of that digital buying experience? Yeah. So I'd say first and foremost, I think you hit the nail on the head in that there are definitely some uh, risks associated here in terms of if your brand isn't present uh, on a third party channel where your customers are actively going, right? You're not present, right? People aren't going to become aware of your brand. Uh, or if that third party is speaking negatively about your brand, obviously not going to bode well for their likelihood to purchase from you. So I, I think that's a great point that you mentioned. Uh, but in terms of uh, how you can harness it for your own buying experience, I think there's a lot of things that we can do here. First and foremost, we think about the idea of online product ratings and reviews. This would be an example. I, I, I know I, I'm uh, conflicting with what I said earlier around not replicating the B2C experience totally, but that would be a great example of a tried and true method in the B2C world that we can start to translate to the B2B world. So again, talking about very specific things like star ratings, reviews, potentially having people upload uh, user-generated content of your product and their workflow, a great way to harness the power of third parties in your own buying experience. Uh, I'd say you know, another opportunity would be to start to harness uh, influencers or third-party experts in your own experience, right? So uh, thinking about usage of third-party experts in your uh, events, webinars, that kind of a thing. You could also potentially partner with them to co-create content. Uh, and that's great because not only can you share that content on your own channels, but you can also uh, enable the partner or the, the, your, your partnering influencer or third-party expert to share it with their uh, audiences, helping you extend brand reach. Uh, so I'd say influencer marketing and, and usage of that content uh, is another great, uh, great way to go about it. Another digital buying consideration you surface, uh, I thought this was so interesting, almost all B2B purchases are driven by some sort of organizational change. So uh, I interpret this as there's always a bigger story behind what they're trying to buy and why. And part of making a sale likely involves kind of coaching them through a broader change that they're trying to navigate. Tell me about how brands can do this well. Yeah. So I, I think that really the key here is uh, Due to a lot of Gartner research, right, the, the, the marketing world and even the sales world has started to, to come to grips and buy in on the concept of buyer enablement. Uh, buyer enablement is all about giving buyers very prescriptive guidance and support to complete their buying journey tasks. But to your point, while there already are a set of complex tasks that buyers have to complete just in their natural purchase process, there is a cloud surrounding mm. those buying tasks with broader change tasks, right? So uh, take something like uh, a, a digital transformation, right? Someone at an organization might set forth the objective of becoming you know, the, the Uber of their industry, right? Okay, that's great, but like, what exactly does that mean? What is our end objective? How are we going to define success? 
what steps do we need to take across our organization to get from A to B? Uh, how do we get others in the organization bought in on what needs to happen? How do we enable them to do something differently? Right. So we want to start to think through how we can help our customers not just advance through their purchase process, but actually advance through this broader change journey uh, that typically surrounds B2B buying. That sounds like squarely the domain of a rep. Are there things that we can be done better purely digitally on that front? Yeah. Absolutely. How do we think about meeting those needs? What does that look like? Yeah. And, and frankly, I think in many instances, digital can be better than sales reps mm. at offering that support simply because uh, it's hard enough to get an individual sales rep to be an expert in your product. Now you're going to have them be an expert in some sort of a broader organizational change, right? That's going to be a stretch for most of the sales force. Uh, so I, I've been seeing some really smart things uh, for brands deploying digital content uh, that would be in the, in the vein of change enablement. Uh, so you know, one example that comes to mind uh, is there's a company called the Business Development Bank of Canada. Uh, they're a bank serving uh, entrepreneurs in Canada. Uh, one thing that they realized was a big change that might trigger a potential buyer's need to apply for financing would be acquiring a new business, right? But if you, if you imagine yourself as a small business owner, you've never purchased a new business before, not only do you not know what's involved in purchasing a new business, but frankly, you might not even have the confidence to be able to purchase a business in the first place. So what they started to do is develop a lot of really helpful content uh, on their website, and they promote it across all different types of channels, where they essentially break down the process of evaluating whether it's right. Re you're, you're, you're ready to buy a business. Then also, how do you go through the steps of evaluating a purchase, uh, evaluating a business to buy? Uh, what types of considerations are involved? And they provide very helpful tools and content for someone to be able to advance through that process. And so, as a result, yes, I'm confident in my ability to be able to navigate this change of buying a business. And now, BDC, can you tell me about how you can help me with financing? Uh, you've seen some great examples of brands that are tag teaming the human and the digital experience to great effect. Yes. Yeah, so, so one of my favorite examples is, is actually a recent case study that we built from a brand called uh, Luxoft. And what they started to do is they built these customer maturity assessments. Uh, so these are maturity assessments that uh, a customer could complete completely via self-service. They live on Luxoft's website, uh, but sales reps also have the ability to walk uh, customers through those maturity assessments. But really where, where the, 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 the combination or the, of, of both the, the human and digital come into play here are one is just frankly, it's a digital tool uh, that's powers being augmented by a human uh, potentially guiding a customer through that maturity assessment experience. And buyers are a lot more likely to complete a high quality deal when they engage with digital tools in partnership with their rep as opposed to independently. But then what's super smart about Luxoft's approach is, let's say a prospect filled out a maturity assessment. Luxoft's marketing team will then share those results to the aligned sales rep, right? So now the sales rep has oodles of data about that specific buyer, their context, their pain points, where they're strong, where they're weak. Now imagine how much more effective and how much more uh, equipped that sales rep is to once they actually speak with a customer to be able to have a much more of a tailored conversation that speaks to the specific needs of an individual buyer. 
Luxoft is even really smart in terms of training reps, in terms of how to interpret that data, mm. right? It's, you know, if uh, low maturity is observed in capability X, then you as a sales rep should recommend these three products, right? So it's almost kind of like a paint by numbers approach to consultative solution selling, uh, which I think is really smart. So what is just your overall advice for brands right now that are looking to maximize the efficacy of their digital B2B buying experience? What should they have top of mind? What is your best advice for them? Yeah, so my best advice is definitely going to be advice in the vein of me telling you that if you want to be healthy, you need to eat your vegetables. I promise <laughs> you so many people aren't doing this, uh, is to get digital channels right, right? So to get omni-channel right. It actually has a lot less to do with you, you know, selecting the right channels and using them in, you know, the right channel specific ways. But instead, where success is, is bred is through a very clear understanding of your buyer. And again, I, I don't just say that in a motherhood and apple pie kind of a way, but really, and we mentioned this before, do the work to sit down with your sales team, pick a specific target customer segment, pick a specific product line, and do the work to map out what exactly are the questions buyers are asking throughout their purchase process, right? Then what that enables you to do is start to give the customers the type of support that they need uh, across your various channels where your customers might be investing. Because frankly, we don't necessarily know which channel a customer is gonna turn to to ask a question. They could go to your website, they can go to your sales team, they might go to both to ask the same question, right? So we wanna make sure that we understand what are those needs what is the right answer to those questions and that both uh, digital uh, teams, but then also sales teams are equipped to provide uh, the right answer. Not to mention the fact that uh, a lot of people sometimes I find try to align individual channels to a specific journey stage, right? So we might say like, mm -hmm. advertising is for early in the journey. Well, that's not necessarily true. You could very easily align your creatives to other stages uh, of the customer journey. So that's why it becomes important. And again, I know this is a kumbaya statement, but it becomes really important is to ground your digital and omni-channel investments in your uh, customer insights and your understanding of the buying journey, as opposed to uh, going crazy around trying to, uh, you know, hit, hit on some of the latest trends and, you know, LinkedIn contents or anything along those lines. What can Gartner clients in particular expect in terms of support on this over the next several months? Yeah, so I would say, as I talk to CMOs, the biggest challenge is less them feeling like they feel confident in what needs to be done, but more so getting other people within the organization being bought in on what needs to get done. Uh, and so one thing that uh, our clients find to be incredibly helpful is our wide array of benchmarking data, right? Whether that be uh, benchmarking data around budget allocation, uh, but also all of the B2B buyer research that we've been able to gather over the years, not to mention just our, our best practice case studies, right? So CMOs can grab Gartner data around uh, that 75% of customers prefer rep-free experience, right? And share that with their leaders to help make the case for digital. They could share that Luxoft case study that I referenced before to, to give people a strong understanding of this is what good looks like. This is what we should be working towards. So a lot of it comes in the, the business case building side of things. But then, of course, as you work to make investments uh, to improve your digital buying experience, right, 
Obviously, the stakes are high. If you get it wrong, really puts you in a bad position. So Gartner offers a lot in the way of stepwise guidance in terms of how to do this right, but different things like tools and templates to also work through these things. So for instance, uh, one of my favorite resources that we have is a toolkit for mapping the B2B customer buying journey. Uh, within there, there's even an interview guide that you can ask uh, customers the right questions uh, to learn more about what they're doing across their buying journey. Uh, and I'd say one last thing that I'll, I'll give a plug for simply because I find it the most fun would be uh, our ability just to offer very blunt feedback on what's currently happening, right? Again, uh, our clients, CMOs in general, very smart people, but it's human nature of we're not 100% sure if we're doing the exact right thing. Uh, I talk to my peers and my team all the time about what we're doing right and wrong, but I could really use the perspective of, of a third party partner. So that's where clients might send us uh, you know, roadmaps, strategic plans for feedback, or one of my favorite things to do is uh, a website review where we provide feedback on someone's website uh, to make sure that they're optimized to support B2B buying. Uh, and so it'd be a very helpful for validating a job well done or deserved. Uh, but I also like to think that clients pay us to be professional devil's advocates. Uh, so we're certainly always able to point out some high opportunity areas for improvement. Rick LaFond, thank you for coming on today and lending your expertise and perspective. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Hashtags. We hope to see you on our next episode. Have a great day. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.